have a personal question for you guys today. Do you take pills? Do you pop pills? I mean, just any of them, really. Do you take, I don't know, Xanax when you're feeling a little anxious? Do you pop, not often, but just when you're feeling super anxious, you take a Xanax? Or do you take Adderall? Are you one of those people that says, I need to be motivated today. I have a lot to do, so I'm going to take an Adderall pill. I want to talk about that. I want to have an open conversation about that. Plus, later on in the show, we, of course, are going to discuss the State of the Union, the only thing that matters from the State of the Union, which is certainly not anything Biden said, but the Mitt Romney and George Santos smackdown. Yeah, let's talk about that. I thought that was amazing. All that and more today coming up on Candace Owens. I know some of you guys have to be immediately uncomfortable me asking that question. Like, oh, gosh, Candace, I love you, but I don't want to talk about the fact that I maybe pop some Xanax or Adderall. And I know I shouldn't, but I do it because people are ashamed of taking pills. And why is that? Is there something deep down that tells you that maybe it's wrong? Well, I want to share this personal story. I've shared it before, but it's important enough that... I put it in a monologue and that you share it with other people. And I want you to know this is not the judgment zone whatsoever. In fact, I want this to be the opposite of the judgment zone because there's so much that I've learned. And I, I know that this is one of the most critical moments of my life, which took place, which was when I was at the University of Rhode Island. I had a terrible breakup with my first boyfriend, my first real boyfriend, you know, and I was crying my eyes out. I mean, I was shrieking like an injured animal. I was so in pain by the idea that we were breaking up that I remember the RA checking on me and asking if I was okay. And then my dad called me. He had never heard me cry like that. It was so guttural that he drove the two and a half hours up to pick me up from school and to bring me home. And when I was home that weekend, he scheduled an appointment for me to see his doctor. And I talked to his doctor and told him how sad I was. I mean, my boyfriend had broken up and he prescribes me with Klonopins, right? Which is such a weird thing looking back on it. I was 18 years old, fresh-faced, crying over a boyfriend. He prescribed me Klonopins. Anyways, I thought it was like, cool. I was like, great. I have a prescription. The prescription is going to make me feel better. And my dad dropped me back off at school Sunday evening. And I remember this girl, Zoe. I will never forget Zoe and the conversation that we had that changed my life. I think about this all the time. I said, hey, look, Zoe, one of my girlfriends, I have these, this prescription. It's going to help me, and it's going to keep me calm because, like, I'm so anxious about this breakup. And she said, okay. She's like, just out of curiosity, you know, why are you taking these pills? And I said, because I'm tremendously sad, and I can't stop crying. I cannot stop crying over so-and-so. And she said, okay. And um, why are you crying so much? And I said, because he and I just broke up. Obviously, I'm sad because he and I just broke up. And she said, just food for thought, but I have this opinion that if you can answer the question why, why you're sad, then that's just a human emotion, right? And she said, if you told me that, like, for no reason, you're walking down the street and it's sunny outside and you're like, ah, nowhere, you just start crying hysterically, then I would say you have a chemical imbalance and you might need some pills or some medication. But if you can answer the question why you're sad, it's just a human emotion. You're going to have to learn to deal with that human emotion. The pill is not going to make that human emotion go away, even if it just numbs it temporarily. And I threw out all of the pills that night, just literally 
thought that that made so much sense today throughout all the pills, and the conversation never left me. It's carried me through my life when I have an emotion. If I can answer the question, why there's something wrong with me? And I'm so grateful that this God moment happened in my dorm in freshman year because now I just think about the many times that doctors try to give me pills, just try to give us pills for anything, you know, any emotion. Oh, too happy, here's a pill. Too sad, here's a pill. Feeling a little anxious? Yeah, I'm feeling a little anxious because I'm about to give birth. I don't know anything about labor. Here's a pill. It might calm you down. Don't worry, it's safe if you're pregnant. And you just go, I say to doctors, you don't need a pill. I'm telling you why I have this human emotion. Human emotions are human emotions. They're human. They're normal. And I have this on my mind because of this horrific story that is in the press regarding postpartum depression, and I'm sure that you guys are following it, out of Massachusetts, a young woman named Lindsay Clancy. She's now being charged with three counts of premeditated murder. After giving birth, um, eight months after giving birth, she strangled her toddlers, five and three years old, and then she slit her wrists and jumped out of a window. All of the children died, and she somehow miraculously survived this, and she is in the hospital as she is being tried, she is now paraplegic. Horrific case. As soon as this hit the news, I just felt so tremendously sad. And then I had this thought. I, I thought to myself, what pills was she on? Not how depressed was she, but what pills was she on was my thought process. Because I have this theory that these antipsychotics and these medications for anxiety, even if they temporarily make it better. Whenever I see somebody that is long-term on this medicine, it has always compounded the issue that they began with, right? So if they had anxiety to start and they took the pill and it calmed them down, and I know plenty of these girls, I'm friends with these girls that pop a Xanax when they feel anxiety, the next few times they feel anxiety, they assume something's wrong with them and they need more and more of that pill to quiet the anxiety. And that feeling is just so foreign to them that they really overreact when they're feeling anxious. I've, I've never seen pills long-term be good, right? Be good for the person. And I'm talking about Britney Spears, right? Britney Spears, oh my God, she shaved her head. That was like so crazy. You all remember that moment. She was having this breakdown because the press was following her nonstop and they would not leave her alone despite her begging to be left alone. And so what did they do? They put her on psychotics, antipsychotics for years. Does Britney Spears seem better to you? Was she looking better to you as the years went on? No, something happens when you're put on this stuff long-term. And I kept that thought to myself. And then, actually, this has been launched as her defense, that she was on a cocktail of medication that actually drove her into a psychosis. Do you doubt that storyline? I don't doubt that storyline whatsoever. I'm going to read you some of the drugs that she was on. Brace yourself, because there's a lot of them. The doctors had her on Ambien. Ambien. Okay, so just so we're clear, we know that just being on Ambien, there are people that have been on it and don't remember what they did. They got up, drove their car, they kill someone, come back, and then they go back to bed. They don't remember it. They're just in a oh, complete Ambien psychosis, right? People that, she, they, she was also, pardon me, on Clonopins. She was also on Valium. She was also on Prozac. She was also on something called Lamictal. She was also on Ativan. She was also on Remeron. She was also on Seroquel, and she was also on Trazodone. Does that seem normal to you? Does that at all seem like that would that, that person would be a well-balanced individual? Do you not believe that the doctors harmed her in this circumstance by putting her on all this psychotic medication? And why did they put her on it? Let's talk about that diagnosis of postpartum depression, because I thought about it a lot, and I think it's ridiculous to make women think that there's something wrong with them because they feel sad and they feel overwhelmed, right? Every woman believes that they're suffering from postpartum depression for things that are, are completely understandable, right? My sister 
I, you know, the doctor thinks I have postpartum depression because she went through a very traumatic birth, right? And then after having this traumatic birth and being rushed in for an emergency C-section, she's, she's given a baby. She can't breastfeed the baby. She's going through pain. Why are we pretending there's something wrong, like there's a diagnosis that's happening to her because she's healing and she's going through all of these emotions, right? What do you expect happens when women give birth and then they cannot sleep? Doctors are being told, wake up that baby every three hours to breastfeed it. Oh, rest is best. Yeah, you're not breastfeeding. Mm, we really recommend it. Breast is best. So your breast is besting it. You're not sleeping. You're learning. You, you got a, a huge learning curve. You've got raw nipples from breastfeeding. And on top of that, maybe you've got other kids that you have to keep up with that are screaming. You know what they, what they do to prisoners down in Guantanamo Bay? They deprive them of sleep and they play loud music in their ears. Yeah, noise and a lack of sleep because they know that it drives people into a psychosis, right? And mothers are supposed to deal with this and be told that, like, if you aren't dealing with this so well, that there's something wrong with you. Not, hey, let's normalize moms needing to take a break. Let's normalize moms realizing when they're reaching their limit and they can't breastfeed, right? When they say, you know, actually, I have so much going on. I can't breastfeed. And, and let's normalize the conversation, realizing that every single child is different. Every child is different. I have been blessed this time with my second child. She has slept through the night. It's just the moment we brought her home. But I've also been, been, been blessed with my ability to not listen to doctors, right? To understand that what they give you sometimes is absolute nonsense, right? Wake your baby up every three hours. I did that with my first child. It drove me crazy. And my second child, I said, nope, baby's sleeping. I'm not waking a sleeping baby. My breasts will regulate to the baby. And sure enough, it did. I did. I didn't listen to any of this, the science of what they decide is best for me and my child. I know what's best. I'm a mom. I and what's best is that I'm sane. My mother used to tell me a story about four children. We're one of, I'm one of four. My mom used to tell me a story about how with my younger sister, she, my younger sister did not stop crying. It was one of those children, maybe she was colicky, and she just screamed at the top of her lungs. That, that will drive, I mean, I, have you ever been around a child, a baby, an infant that screams nonstop? it will drive any person into a crazy moment. My mother said that she lives the first child where she literally had to just hand my sister to her sister, my aunt, and just take a day. And she said it was a, I needed to sleep. I literally needed to sleep. You know what she didn't need? She didn't need a cocktail of Ambien, Clonopin, Valium, Prozac, Ativan, Remron, Seroquel. She, she needed sleep. She needed separation from her baby for the health, for her personal health. She just needed a little bit of separation. And now all of a sudden... We are over-diagnosing people with forms of depression and, in fact, giving them further bouts of depression, in my view, by over-prescribing them on all of these drugs. Now, I'm not saying that there are some circumstances where something goes wrong. And for whatever reason, even if they're well-slept and they have two nannies that are taking care of the kids, that there are still some moms that may, for whatever reason, have very dark thoughts about their children. And in those scenarios, they do need to seek help. But I believe that we are over-diagnosing people. I believe that those are the rare circumstances. And in the majority of circumstances, we're just over-diagnosing women altogether with things that are understandable, understandable human emotions. And it goes on and on and on, by the way. For example, a girlfriend of mine posted, her name is Corinne Tatum. She's, she's married to Brandon Tatum, who is a great friend of mine. And he has his own radio show. And Corinne Tatum posted that she was looking for a nanny to come help. And in response to her posting this, people were upset. 
that she was asking for a nanny because Corinne Tatum now has the privilege of being a stay-at-home mom. You know, she had a C-section, she had a high-risk birth, but she now has the privilege of being a stay-at-home mom and people just can't even imagine why she would need a nanny. And here's what Corinne Tatum wrote, because I think it's, it's so powerful. She wrote in response to the comments, it's comments like, you don't need a nanny. Why women are afraid to ask for help, even in the pits of despair and postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis and hurt themselves and their babies, making women who need a mental health minute every few days seem like they're lacking something. Stop telling women how to mother. I will block anyone and everyone who tells me that I don't need help. I think that is a tremendously courageous statement that she just put that out there because how dare you? How dare you assume that because she's a stay-at-home mom, that means that she has to spend every single waking second with her child or else she's a bad mother. Maybe she wants to go out and get her hair blown out. Maybe she wants to go get a manicure. Maybe she wants to just go meet up with friends and not have a toddler on her arms. Maybe she wants to feel like herself again. I always say, like, I feel that my mental health explodes. I'm so happy when breastfeeding is over because I just get to have a moment. My body feels like it's mine again. How do you shame a mother for feeling that way? Oh, no, unless you want to breastfeed until the toddler's four, there's something wrong with you. Maybe you need pills. No, we're human beings. Women are human beings. And I am so disgusted by the prosecutors who, in the case of Lindsey Clancy, I can't even imagine how broken this woman was. I can't even imagine looking at the, the list of pills that doctors prescribed her. I can't even imagine what her mental state was to have done this to children who she obviously loved. Of course, she loved these children, right? She had three children who she loved, who she carried, who she grew, and who she birthed, and who she took care of. And for her to do this, of course, she was not in the right mental state, but the prosecutors are arguing in a merciless, in a merciless campaign, and it is in fact merciless, that she was well aware of what she was doing and that she planned it out, just having no understanding no understanding for this woman. I am, I am pleased to see that her husband has forgiven her and that more men and more women are speaking out, talking about these circumstances that she was in. It's, it's a horrible tragedy. Of course, of course, there, there has to be consequences for what took place. But to think that, a, that she wanted to kill her three children and kill herself and jump out of the house, to jump out of a window because everything was actually perfectly fine and the drugs were working, I think that's evil. And I think we need to all stop being so evil when it comes to mothers and when it comes to parenting. And if there's any takeaway from this, I, I hope that if you're listening to this, that you understand that there's nothing wrong with you for feeling a human emotion. If you have a human emotion and you need time, you need space to yourself to think through it, Maybe that should be your first instinct before you turn to doctors whose only jobs is to look at you as a product and money to be made. And that's all I have to say about that. For those of you that follow me on Instagram, you know that I am up at 4.30 a.m. to work out because I like to get a head start on my day and I enjoy that time for myself in the morning before the kids wake up. That being said, living a healthy lifestyle isn't always easy, especially when you're on the road as much as I am. I need simple, manageable routines to make sure I'm getting the proper nutrition every day which is why I'm a huge fan of Balance of Nature products. Balance of Nature fruits and veggies capsules are the best way to make sure that you're getting essential nutritional ingredients every single day. They contain 31 flash-dried fruits and vegetables specifically selected for their combined effectiveness in strengthening the immune system, cell protection, and DNA repair. 
Consuming the right balance of fruits and vegetables every day is an important first step in taking care of your health, and you'll reap all kinds of benefits from it, like less fatigue and more energy throughout the day. Their products are 100% whole food. Balance of Nature uses a cold vacuum process that preserves the natural phytonutrients in whole fruits and vegetables and encapsulates them for easy consumption. As a special offer, Balance of Nature is offering 35% off, plus a free fiber and spice fiber supplement to your first preferred order of fruits and vegetables. Call or go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code Candice for 35% off plus a free fiber and spice. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code Candice. Okay, now it's time for some topics du jour. So the State of the Union was last night and I was forced to wash it against my will because Jeremy Boring had one of his razors to my neck. And so we sat around uh, during our backstage live and we listened to our gaslighter in chief. There's a lot that I could say about the State of the Union. You know, a lot of I could say about how angry it made me. There's a lot that we could comment about. I don't know, Joe Biden's general gate uh, heading into there, which lets us know that he is in fact suffering from some early stage dementia, probably not such an early stage, if we're being honest. Uh, We could, again, talk about that gaslighting, him pretending that he wants to fight the fentanyl crisis as he allows fentanyl to pour over our open borders and allows millions of illegals to come in, many of them having drugs. We could talk about the strangest portions, which I think would be him pretending that he's anti-Big Pharma. Is, Is this not the exact same guy that we had to fight because he tried to authorize OSHA to mandate the vaccine into every single working individual arms in America. Remember he did that? Do you remember that? No, he doesn't remember either, probably because of that early or late stage dementia that he's going through. Uh, We could talk about him pretending that he's sticking it to China. Yeah, we sure showed them by allowing them to float a balloon, a spy balloon for eight days across the entire contiguous United States. Nope, nope. I don't want to talk about that, though, because I feel that the best moment from the State of the Union is actually this little riffraff that went on between Senator Mitt Romney and George Santos. So some reporter had picked up that they had shared some words. Some lip reader said, I think that Mitt Romney told George George Santos that he shouldn't be here. And that is interesting. And then Mitt Romney afterwards spoke to the press and admitted that, that he did, in fact, go up to this congressman from New York who has lied about everything on his resume, and he shared some words with him. Here is what Mitt Romney had to say. I didn't expect that he'd be standing there trying to shake hands with every senator <laughs> in the president of the United States. That's, uh, given, given the fact that he's under ethics investigation, he should be sitting in the back row and staying quiet instead of uh, parading in front of the uh, president and, uh, and, and people coming into the room. He says he... Uh, you know, that he embellished his record. Look, embellishing is saying you got an A when you got an A minus. Lying is saying you you graduated from a college you didn't even attend. And, and he shouldn't be in Congress. And uh, they're going to go through the process and hopefully get him out. And uh, But he shouldn't be there. And, and uh, if he had any shame at all, he wouldn't be there. Why did you, you know make him? a point to say that, though? I mean, it, you went, I mean, it was kind of out of your way to, to well, He was say standing that. right there in the aisle, shaking hands with everybody. Did he respond to you? Uh... He may have. I didn't hear anything he said. that Kevin McCarthy is not going to resign? Yes. 
So Mitt Romney isn't wrong here. Yeah, sure, George Santos has been caught lying about virtually everything. The schools he attends, his employment history, his family background, whether or not he was a drag queen in Brazil. This guy's definitely shady. And it is right that there is an ethics probe against him. I think personally now I just find it to be hilarious. I just said, just it's amazing that he's made it this far. But Mitt Romney is also Mitt Romney. <laughs> so this is a weird circumstance of pot, kettle, black. He shouldn't be here, Mitt Romney says. Oh, this guy's a fraud. This guy's lying. This guy's raised money on these lies. And now he's here in Congress. Okay, Mitt Romney. Are you kidding me? You're Mitt Romney. And you raised a lot more money on the basis of your lies. You had people all around America actually believing that you would be a strong conservative candidate for president. And those people gave you $449 million towards your campaign, only to watch you lose and then to turn into a leftist, right? So I'm going to guess that George Santos votes more conservatively than you. What's, what's worse, lying before or lying after? I don't know. I kind of think lying after might be worse, having people believe in you and invest in you. And then everything that you do in Congress is just you working for the left. They can always count on Mitt Romney's vote, the left, right? This guy, oh, I love Trump. Trump endorsed me, endorsed me. And then as soon as Trump endorses him and he gets back into office, he does everything he can to fight Trump, voting for him to be impeached. I mean, just, just literally opposed the MAGA agenda for four years straight. Why? Because he is a fraud. He lies and he collects money. So in this circumstance, nobody's really the hero, least of all Mitt Romney. Anybody else? Anybody else want to go up and say something about George Santos? I might be able to respect it, but not you, Mitt Romney. Not you. Moving on, this is going to get super interesting. Megan and Harry, as you guys know, they're just looking for their privacy. It's all they want is their privacy. And this is kind of an interesting, I guess, karmic equation because essentially, Samantha Markle, if you don't remember who she is, she is Meghan Markle's sister. Meghan Markle, of course, hates her own family, plus Harry's family, and anybody that might be family she hates, not because she's a bad person, but because everybody is bad to Meghan Markle all the time. She's just a permanent victim through life, and she just can't figure out why people don't realize that, you know, she's literally Nelson Mandela. And it would be nice if people would recognize that she is Nelson Mandela, and she's also the Pope, and she is also Beyonce. And she has saved the world. And sadly, people don't realize that. Least of all, her sister, Samantha Markle, who is suing her for defamation, claiming that the couple lied about her in an Oprah interview. Okay? Now, it has been proven over and over again that from everywhere, from the Oprah interview to the Netflix documentary to Harry's wine fest of a book, they have just told a lot of lies. A lot of lies that are adding up. People are able to debunk these lies. But who cares because they are collecting tens of millions of dollars. So haha, the joke's on you, except this time Samantha Markle actually scored a win. They tried to essentially get this lawsuit dismissed. This lawsuit is coming, uh, was brought in Florida and the Florida federal court ruled, we're not going to dismiss this lawsuit. Well, let me actually slow that down. They basically ruled that Harry and Meghan must actually sit through a deposition before the court will hear the dismissal. So let me explain to you how that might work, because I'm very familiar with defamation law. Obviously, I just had this lawsuit with Kimberly Klasick. So essentially, when Kimberly Klasick brought her frivolous lawsuit against me for $26 million, obviously, my instinct was to say, this is frivolous, court, throw this out immediately, and instead, allow me, allow my anti-slap petition to go through, which essentially says I can sue her for bringing about this frivolous lawsuit. And so the first thing that we tried to do was just to get this outright dismissed and the anti-slap um, petition heard. 
wound up happening was that the judge basically said, we're not just going to throw this out immediately. Both of you are going to have to sit for a deposition. And then after we allow people to ask questions, we'll then use that deposition to discern whether or not we will allow this lawsuit to go through. So the next phase would be them determining whether or not there is grounds for this lawsuit based on this deposition. So Kim and I sat for that deposition, and in the middle of this deposition, she just folded because the depositions are quite serious, right? You can tell your lies on Netflix. You can tell your lies on Oprah. You can tell your lies to the public. You can feed stories to the press. But will you do it under oath, right? Will you, when you are held up under oath, say, yes, 100%, I was treated to racism and everybody's a racist and my sister doesn't even know me because this is one of the things that Samantha Markle is upset about is that Meghan Markle referred to herself as an only child to garner sympathy, made her sister come across as if she's absolutely insane. She may be, I don't know. But the court is interested enough to want to hear the deposition to see if this suit should be brought about. And so Meghan and Harry are going to be grilled under oath. That is incredibly interesting. This is one of the rare times where they actually really do want their privacy and the court is saying no. So maybe what they'll do now is just say, well, the court systems are racist. That should be the next thing. Not even the courts like Meghan Markle, poor Poor Meghan Markle, she's being victimized. We all had to go through it, but Megan, when Megan goes through the court systems, it's different because she's 3% black and the courts know that somehow. And so they're going to treat her to a healthy dose of court system racism or something like that. Moving on, I just find this to be hilarious. First and foremost, I want to be very clear. Breaking news regarding Madonna looking like Jigsaw, that was us. We did that episodes, many weeks. We've been covering this phenomenon. We've been watching her face transform for a very long time. And for some reason, people were not catching on to this. I was just going, no, she's now fully looks like Jigsaw. You guys remember this. I was saying this for a very long time and nobody caught on. Now, people are saying she looks like Jigsaw after her Grammys appearance. So let's take a look at Madonna at the Grammys. She was introducing Sam Smith for his demonic performance. And this is her, once again, looking exactly like Jigsaw. And people went, oh my gosh, what's happened to her face? That's a very fair question. What has happened to her face? What happened to her face? She was very beautiful in her youth. She was beautiful as she was aging. And then she got something done here and it looks like a horror film. Well, Madonna, never one to just accept that maybe this could just be, I went a little too far on getting work done and maybe I should have aged a little more gracefully. I want you to know that if you think her face looks weird, it's your fault. So let's just keep up gaslighting, right? I'm going to do something radical to my face. I'm going to get a bunch of injections, maybe 27 facelifts. I'm going to do something to my cheeks. It's all going to look puffy and weird and pulled back and like a horror film. But if you comment on it, you're the bad guy. Here's what Madonna had to say on Instagram about all the backlash that she's getting around her scary face. She said, it was an honor for me to introduce Kim Petras and Sam Smith at the Grammys. I had wanted to give the last award, which was for album of the year, but I thought it was more important that I present the first trans woman performing at the Grammys, a history-making moment. And on top of that, she won a Grammy. Instead of focusing on what I said in my speech, was about, which was about giving thanks for the fearlessness of artists like Sam and Kim, many people chose to talk only about close-up photos of me taken with a long-lens camera by a press photographer that would distort anyone's face. Once again, I am caught in the glare of ageism and misogyny that permeates the world we live in, a world that refuses to celebrate women past the age of 45 and feels the need to punish her if she continues to be strong-willed, hardworking, and adventurous. 
I have never apologized for any of the creative choices I have made, nor the way that I look or dress, and I am not going to start. I have been degraded by the media since the beginning of my career, but I understand this is all a test, and I'm happy to do the trailblazing so that all the women behind me can have an easier time in the years to come. In the words of Beyonce, you won't break my soul. I look forward to many more years of subversive behavior, pushing boundaries, standing up to the patriarchy, and most of all, enjoying my life. Bow down, biatches. Whoop, whoop, shots fired. Hey, look, I mean, if the boundary you want to push is your face, go for it. Go for it. If that's the boundary you want to push, if you want to see how far you can stretch your face before it pops, go for it. I'm with you, sister. Just don't expect us not to comment on it. It looks insane. We have a right to comment on it. I don't know how you worked in ages and misogyny, especially because actually people are saying is that if you had just aged, you would look better. That's the whole point. They're not against the aging. They're against you attempting to interrupt the aging, attempting to interrupt the inevitable, and then looking terrifying. What is that guy's name? Pennywise? Yeah, she's starting to look like Pennywise. And by the way, you have a right, sister, to look like Pennywise. You can push the boundaries and you can look like a whole clown if you want. <laughs> but please allow us to comment on it. And by the way, I do want to re-bring up that portion where she says that she really wanted to present the first trans woman performing at the Grammys. I love that everything's the first now because we're making up things that don't exist. Like, this is not the first trans woman to perform at the Grammys. It's a man performing at the Grammys. <laughs> like, we're talking about different words. So if I just suddenly say, I identify as a fish, well, Madonna introduced me as the first ever fish to host a political talk show, mm-hmm, a political podcast. I want you guys to know that I am the first ever fish, fish man, fish woman to ever host because I just identified as that. And so there you go. I, it's a history-making moment, you guys, the first ever fish woman hosting a, politi- hosting a political podcast. And speaking of made-up terms, let's get to this mother who's in the news because she is admitting, good on her, that she regrets letting her son, just the age of four, transition to a girl identity. So yeah, she had a four-year-old son who she allowed to socially transition into a girl, and she realized her mistake and trying to correct that mistake she describes as being like leaving a cult. She's going by the name Rose because she wants to remain not anonymous, and she raised her two sons as gender neutral with her wife, Rose is a lesbian, which was reflected in their clothes, toys, and language. When her four-year-old son said he felt like a girl, the mother encouraged him in his new identity, which she now admits was a mistake that haunts her. So let me interrupt that right there because I find that to be strange. Your son, who was four years old, told you that he felt like a girl. I have a lot of experience with kids, a lot of experience in childcare. I've babysat throughout my entire life. I was a nanny first when I left college. And when I was in college, I, I nannied full-time. And I nannied for a three turning four-year-old. And let me tell you something. This is not regular for a four-year-old to come to you and say something so existential, like, I feel like a girl. Like suddenly there's Shania Twain. Like, I feel like a woman. No, not not something a four-year-old says. It's not even something they even think. They can't comprehend that. It's just not what their brains can comprehend at four. They might say, look, mommy, I'm Superman. Or like, look, mommy, I'm a Barbie. Or I want to be a mermaid. But this sort of language of I am, this is, this is, I feel like a girl, mm -mm, that was encouraged. So, Rose, while I appreciate you being in the news for saying that you've changed your mind, I also want you to know that you're 
groomer. This is what happened. You groomed your children. And you admit that because she goes on to confess this, that she had led her sons to transition. She started realizing something was weird because first her, her four-year-old said, I want, I want to be a girl. But then her other son, who was three, said that he too wanted to transition to a girl despite being more of a stereotypical boy. So what happened was she had two boys and she groomed them. And then she realized, this is me grooming them. What are the chances that I have two trans children? Maybe the issue is me. Maybe I am the groomer. And once she realized that what she had done led her son to transition, she worked really hard to reverse the mistake. And now both of her sons, both of her sons who are around eight and nine are living happily as boys. And she describes them as blossoming and growing. So how is that, right? If being trans is not a circumstance that has taken place because of disorders, various mental disorders, usually disorders are being passed down to children that are being given to them by their caretakers, by their teachers, by the entire ecosystem of evil that promotes this crap, right? That is the reason that people are transitioning. That is the reason. They are being groomed to transition. And when you stop the grooming, the individual goes back to normal. And she is rightfully speaking out on this. I think it's a good thing she's speaking out on this, but I don't want to just forgive her her evil, her evil of interrupting their childhood with this nonsense. And she says that following her experience, by the way, she has stopped being an activist and she has instead become a skeptic. Well, what she means is I have stopped being a groomer and I have instead become skeptical of groomers, which just so you know, Rose, that is a great position to have in life. All right, guys, that is all I have to say about that. All right, guys, the next portion of the show is going to be available exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. I'll be reading your comments and answering your questions. So if you're not a member yet, go ahead and click the link in the description and subscribe right now. 